Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sport Intern Special, a series of podcasts in which we speak to the movers and shakers within the Olympic movement. My name is Ashish Sharma. Well, in this episode, we continue our chat with Dick Pound. He's the Honorary International Olympic Committee member and also the first ever president of the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA. And I began the second part of our chat by asking Dick what he felt the International Olympic Committee had done to try and get more young people involved into having an active sporting life. I mean, the, the, the steps we've taken so far, you know, to have a, a separate class of athlete members selected by other Olympic athletes and, and, and young in the sense that uh, to be eligible, you have to participate in the current Olympics where the meeting is being held or the immediately preceding. So that, that there's a, a, a window of opportunity. And we've, we've uh, at least on the field of play, uh, we have uh, achieved pretty much gender parity at this stage. Uh, so that's, that's, broadening that base, I, the, the structure, we're in a, essentially a 19th century structure. And you've got, you've got the international federations who beat the gong about autonomy as if it's a, a God-given right instead of one that in, in this day and age you have to earn. Uh, and then there are a, a, a series of separate fiefdoms and, and, and very, very, very silo-like. The IOC is 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 responding to uh, you know, in in the sense of governance and the sense of uh, outreach and all of those kinds of activities. Uh, getting more women members, and you know, actively recruiting them. And then there's the the National Olympic Committees, and 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 there is where. The, the rubber meets the road in many respects because there's the Olympic Charter that governs or limits their activities, but they also have the the on the ground interface in their countries with with you know their their urge to cooperate with governments because governments build facilities, national Olympic committees don't. Uh, governments can can uh, have an impact on the school system and and you know, physical education and all that sort of thing. And, and that's basically where you need to get uh, initial traction, whether it's a club system or a, a state system or you know, whatever, then there you have to, you have to find a way of, of, of working with, you know, organizations that are quite often in times of stress uh, on the Olympic movement, uh, the bad guys, they're the ones who, determine boycotts. I mean, I mean, I think the last athlete-centered boycott was Berlin. Uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't states that were at the heart of that. It was was athletes. Anyway, it, it's 
it, it's not a, an easy solution. I, I think I think the initiatives with the United Nations help, um, and, and and you know there's there's a certain amount of lip service paid, but you know when you get the uh, the president of the IOC in, invited to the G7 G20 meetings to to speak and, and to the General Assembly of the United Nations. That's all good, and and uh, you know we've got uh, you know we have the the Olympic truce and all of that sort of stuff. But you know in a sense, with the it's it, it's not a it's not a powerful um, or, or particularly stable base from which to uh, operate. And you know Russia, for example, has routinely uh, broke. I think. In, in three successive games, <laughs> they've, they've done that, you know, during the period of the Olympic truce, not not just uh, in, in general terms. Yeah, I, uh, Russia certainly seems to be playing that bad cop role uh, historically well in terms of, you know, you look at one of your perhaps biggest achievements in the establishment of WADA uh, and, and, you know, having cleaner... Um, sports without the drug abuse, and I look back to you know you taking on Lance Armstrong and, and, and you know talking about things that at the time would be like, well, you know this is this is a great cyclist. How can anyone even point a finger in his direction? And 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 now we see what what history says about uh, his achievements in the Tour de France. Um, how important was it to you to to make sure that? sports were clean and to make sure that the ISC was seen to be promoting clean sports when everything around almost seemed to accept that, certainly in the case of cycling, that there were issues there, but no one was really tacking it head on. Oh, well, I mean, in cycling, Lance Armstrong was the poster boy and, and cycling was in kind of a, a, a general decline at the time. And then you've got, you know, the, you get revved up with the, uh, you know, the um, cancer survivor conquering the Tour de France you know, seven times in a row. Beep, 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 beep. You know, <laughs> something should have gone off, and they, and they did nothing about that. So, uh, no, I, I, I think remember the Festina scandal in 1998. You know, we had thought disqualifying Ben Johnson in, in 1988 was. A powerful message. You know, no matter what sport, how spectacular your performance, if you cheat during the Olympic Games, you're out. We thought that might uh, resonate with the the broader sport community, but uh, as you know, in a in a in a very Eurocentric organization, if things don't happen in Europe, they never happen. And so it was the Festina scandal where it's all of a sudden, you know, even cycling, you say, "Oh my God." This is uh, bad, and the other European-centered international federations saying, "Well, this could happen. Cycling and in, in its blue ribbon event, maybe it could happen to my sport." And so, it, it, I mean, the, the dialogue leading to, to the creation of the of WADA um, started after that, when uh, Samaran had made a, a statement, uh, you know. Uh, that this was not doping as far as he was concerned. And, you know, unless you could prove that it was dangerous to the health of the, the athlete, uh, it wasn't doping. Well, I was dead opposite to what he'd been saying all along. And 
there was kind of a firestorm of of um, reaction to it, and so we had a we had a, an emergency meeting of our executive board. Said, well, right, you know, here seems to be you, you can't depend on cycling or any other sport to make sure its athletes are clean. You can't depend on uh, a country to make sure its athletes are clean. The IOC is regarded as too weak to control the Olympic movement. What's the answer? And and um, I'd been around long enough. I said, well. We actually, what, what we need is, is an independent international uh, agency to deal with this. And, and we have a model in, in, the, in the Court of Arbitration for Sport, where, where it was the, the, the stakeholders control the, uh, the organization. So now we can't, can't have it exactly, but you've got the IOC, the IFs, the NOCs, and, and representatives of athletes. We need governments because there are lots of things that we can't do as, as, as a private organization. And we need some expertise, you know, coaching, event organizer, somebody from the pharma industry to that sort of thing to, to let us know what the developments are, which what, what are happening. No good deed goes unpunished. So Sam Ranch said, fine, you do the organogram and we'll have a, a conference in, in early 1999 to see whether we can generate enough support for this, which we did. Uh, it was complicated by the Salt Lake City scandal that broke around the same time, but we got uh, a mandate to, to move ahead with what is now uh, WADA. In terms of where you are today, and in terms of when you look around what's happening, uh, within the Olympic movement, and it seems really within the political world around it, how do you view the balance that the IOC has? And, and, and has it got it right? Because there does seem to be a lot of criticism from ordinary members of the public, sporting fans, who seem a little bit uneasy at the IOC's position. We talked on it there about Russia and Belarus, going from being very strong, saying with, we don't involve these athletes, to now suggesting that they need to come back into the fold, not necessarily referring to that, but looking at the, the climate in general. How do you see the position of the IOC and, and the way it's having to navigate and negotiate itself? Well, I, I think it, it is, is, is trying to make the point that, that the aspirational goal is, is no matter what the political mess is that's out there, you know, this can can be a kind of an island of peace for even if it's only for 30 days, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, running up against the hard fact that, that people don't, that, that's too complicated for most people. Uh, it's too complicated for governments who, who are acting essentially not in the best interest of the athletes, but in, in their, their own self-interest. And so it, it's easier to, you know, sound strong um, and, and throw your own athletes under the bus. I mean, think of what it is. We're so angry with you, Russia, that we're going to punish our own athletes by keeping them out of the Olympics. You know, I say, boy, that's persuasive. I mean, you saw what happened in 1980, nothing. Soviets were still in Afghanistan 10 years later. So it's a, it's you're not getting... Uh, rocket science thinking uh, on this uh, so far. So I, I'm sure that Thomas has a plan B. Uh, the key with a plan B is you don't 
announce what it is until you have to announce it. In the meantime, you, you, you stay true to the, uh, the inclusionary uh, aspirational goal. And as, as a final question, uh, uh, Richard, you, you, you kind of step back from your involvement with the IOC. So what are you up to now? What are you looking forward to uh, achieving over the coming weeks and months and, and years? Well, I, I've actually started to think about writing down what I, you know, what what the story was and what the what the objectives were, what the successes were, what the failures were, and and do some kind of an analytical piece. I'm just the problem is the attention span of most people these days doesn't doesn't go for a multi-volume <laughs> treatise. So uh, you know to get that to get that into well, what's the maximum these days. 400 pages maybe uh, it's going to be a bit of a challenge so you have to have a part one a part two and a part three perhaps exactly yeah tome 16. <laughs> <laughs>Well, those there were the thoughts of Dick Pound, the Honorary International Olympic Committee member. Don't forget, you can always stay in touch with what's happening in the Olympic movement by subscribing to the Sport in 10 newsletter produced every day, Monday to Friday. Until the next time, stay safe.